turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. 62CP Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. In fact, churches have become, as a friend of mine has said, like restaurants. Like restaurants. You go in, and the restaurant's job is to, to make you as comfortable as possible. Otherwise, you're not coming back. You can go somewhere else. I want you to be as comfortable as possible. Take their orders and serve them what they want. The customer's satisfaction is the goal. That has become the goal of, of the typical evangelical church. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher on these Bible classes of the air, and we're studying a chapter that has some pretty stern words, 2 Peter chapter 2. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His clear, practical, verse-by-verse teaching has led to the creation of this radio program. I read once about a chaplain who preached the shortest sermon ever. The title was a little long, though. What does Christ answer when we ask, Lord, what's in Christianity for me? The entire message was just one word, nothing. The chaplain said it took him 20 years to prepare that message. Here's Pastor Steve now to tell how false teachers prey on new believers by telling them only what they want to hear and not what they need to hear. Earl Paul, who I uh, don't know if he's on in our area, but he's a charismatic televangelist, said this, Adam and Eve were placed in the garden as the seed and expression of God. Just as dogs have puppies and cats have kittens, so God has little gods. Listen, that, this is no different, by the way, than Mormonism. No different than Mormonism, which believes in a, a plurality of gods that you can become a god. But he says, we have trouble comprehending this truth. It's right we have trouble comprehending it. It's not in the Bible. We ought to have trouble comprehending it. But here's what he adds. He says, until we comprehend that we are little gods and we begin to act like little gods, we cannot manifest the kingdom of God, end of quote. Now think about what these men are offering their people, a Jesus who is not God and humans who are little gods. I mean, that's what they're offering. And there is no salvation in that message. There is none. Because if Jesus is not the eternal God, then he could not have paid the eternal price for our sins. He has to be God to to pay an eternal price. He has to be man to die. That's why he is the God-man. And if you and I are little gods, then we we are not depraved sinners who need salvation. If you're a little God, you don't need salvation. You got it. Why would a little God need salvation? Whatever that means, little God. I want to quote to you from um, a charismatic pastor named Casey Treat. You may not have heard of him, probably haven't, but Casey Treat is the pastor of the Christian Faith Center in Seattle. In this book by Michael Horton, they quote from him a tape series entitled Believing in Yourself. Now, that ought to tell you something right there. But I'm just going to read to you what was on one of these tapes. 
Here's what Casey Treat had to say. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost had a conference, and they said, let us make man as exact, uh, an exact duplicate of us. Oh, I don't know about you, but that does turn my crank. An exact duplicate of God. Say it out loud. No, don't you. He's telling his congregation, don't you do that. He says, say it out loud. I'm an exact duplicate of God. They write, the audience repeats it a bit tentatively and uncertainly. Come on, say it. He leads them in unison. I'm an exact duplicate of God. Say it again. I'm an exact duplicate of God. The congregation is getting into it louder and bolder with more enthusiasm each time. Say it like you mean it. He's yelling now. I'm an exact duplicate of God. Yell it out loud. Shout it. They follow as he leads. I'm an exact duplicate of God. I'm an exact duplicate of God. Repeatedly going on and on. He says, when God looks in the mirror, he sees me. When I look in the mirror, I see God. Oh, hallelujah. You know, sometimes people say to me when they're mad at me and want to put me down, you just think you're a little God. Thank you. Hallelujah. You got that right. Who do you think you are, Jesus? He answers, yep. Are you listening to me? Are you kids running around here acting like gods? Why not? God told me to. Since I'm an exact duplicate of God, I'm going to act like God. End of quote. That's just a quote from his tape. Nothing taken out of context. That's what he believes. Now, this is the message that gets people excited. I mean, these people were pretty pumped up over this. It comes with a lot of enthusiasm. It comes with a lot of emotion. I'm sure Casey Treat uh, was a man who was really into what he had to say. But in the end, that stuff doesn't satisfy the soul. Never. It doesn't deal, you see, with the real issues of, of life, and that is our sin and how to be forgiven and, and repentance and getting in a right relationship with God and dealing with our guilt. It just doesn't touch on that stuff. It's not about that. That's why false teachers are waterless springs. They offer nothing. They may get you pumped. They may get you excited. But it's not anything that's satisfying. You may leave the auditorium being high as a kite emotionally, but you're coming down, and when you crash, you'll realize how empty that message is. But Peter uses a second metaphor to describe the hollow message of false teachers. He says not only are they waterless springs, they are mists or or clouds driven by a storm. Now, what does he mean by that? What Peter seems to be conveying is that just as a mist or a cloud in the sky during a storm passes quickly because the wind blows it. I mean, you look at the sky and the storm's coming in and there's a cloud up there and you just watch those clouds. They're moving very quickly when it's windy and a storm is coming in. So the message of false teachers are just like that. They just blow by quickly. They're here today gone tomorrow. Their teaching is very transitory, uh, very self-lived. It doesn't last. What excites people today will not excite them tomorrow. What excited people in the 70s doesn't excite them now in the year 2000. Just doesn't do it because they have novel thoughts that are popular for a very brief time and then they just pass quickly from the scene. Now we know that. Visit a used bookstore and see All of the books written by religious uh, teachers of yesteryear filled in those, those bookstores. You can get them for about 10 cents a copy. Nobody cares about them anymore. And yet in their day, they were popular. They were contemporary. They were considered brilliant and, and progressive. Nobody cares about them now. That's why they're in used bookstores. Nobody buys that stuff. Nobody cares about them. They're outdated. 
They're just like clouds blowing by in a storm, short-lived and transitory. They don't offer anything that lasts. They don't offer anything that is eternal. They have no message to give you that's going to deal with, with eternity for your soul and salvation. In fact, they actually are damaging to those who embrace this teaching. They don't just disappoint. Those who embrace this teaching are in terrible trouble. Notice, that's why Peter ends verse 17 telling us what they're like. He says this, this is their destiny, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Folks, what he's talking about is hell. It's the same expressions that he used in, in verse 4 of this chapter about fallen angels, that God has reserved that place gloomiest of places in hell. These men are not Christians who have just gone astray. They are apostates, those who who said they know the truth, those who have been exposed to salvation, but at some point they have rejected salvation and they have gone into error and they want to take others with them. John Calvin's comments on this verse is worth noting. He wrote, in place of the momentary darkness which they now cast, which is true, that is exactly what they cast, momentary darkness with their messages, there is prepared for them, he wrote, a much thicker and eternal one. How horrible. They cast momentary darkness on people, but there is a thicker, more eternal darkness awaiting them. So by using these two metaphors, Peter is saying that the message of false teachers has no life-giving water to uh, to dispense. It's it's also empty. It's it's short-lived. What they have to offer people will ultimately never satisfy them. Then here's a question I have for you. If that's true, if, if what they have to give doesn't satisfy anybody, if they have absolutely nothing to give, basically, that deals with the heart, then how do they attract so many people and don't underestimate their popularity. They are extremely popular. There are many who follow them. Well, the answer is found in verse 18. I ask the question, Peter answers it. Verse 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. In this verse, Peter actually gives us, and I would encourage you to write this down, three reasons why false teachers attract so many people. Three reasons. The content of their message is unsatisfying, offers nothing, and yet people flock to hear them. And Peter tells us why. Reason number one, they present their message with words that impress their listeners. Notice the beginning of verse 18, he says, he says that they, speaking out arrogant words of vanity. If you have a uh, King James version, uh, the, the Greek word that's translated arrogance is translated in your Bible swelling. If you have an NIV translation, it's boastful. But literally in the Greek, it means unnaturally swollen. That is to say they're inflated. Big words, big talk. In other words, they use eloquence and a large vocabulary. A large vocabulary, inflated words to communicate a message that is absolutely empty of content. Only people are impressed with their words. Folks, that's the way false teachers are. They try to impress you with their religious oratory. Ostentatious verbosity, someone said. That's what it is. Now, how do they do this? Well, liberal theologians use scholarly-sounding words that are not only impressive, they're very intimidating to the average person. Words that they want you to think are too complex for you as as mere laymen to understand. Leave it to the scholars. 
the academic theologians, they'll tell you what you need to believe. I mean, is not this what the people that Peter Jennings consulted with, with the ABC uh, special several months ago? He didn't go to evangelical teachers to get uh, his information. No, these are the, the, the liberal Jesus seminar kind of teachers. High-sounding words that, find, that sound very scholarly and spiritual. Nobody really knows what they're talking about because they don't know what they're talking about, but they have all of these terms that are inflated words. That's what Peter means, speaking out arrogant words of vanity. Now, that's the liberal theologians. What about, what about some charismatic leaders who actually they have invented their own vocabulary? You know that? Uh, some years ago, Michelle and I were in a uh, Christian bookstore, and she just uh, wanted to look at page one of a Benny Hinn book. Just see, what what is this? And uh, I want you to know, uh, my wife will be embarrassed for me to say this, but she knows her Bible. She is a Bible teacher. She is a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. She knows good theology when she reads it. After she read one page, she said to me, I just read this page. I have no idea what he said. I have absolutely no idea. He said, She said, he's using words that I have never heard. This is another language. These are other, and she's not talking about tongues here. She said it's another language. He, uh, it, it's an, it's another way of conveying what he has to convey. So that's all part of it. But listen, don't be fooled by those who speak like that and those who speak with great eloquence and, and, uh, uh, no pun intended, but with great charisma, public speaking ability. Listen, you know who's our example in this? The Apostle Paul was perhaps the most brilliant man of his generation. And yet Paul in 1 Corinthians, look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he told us a little bit about his speaking ministry and the philosophy behind his speaking ministry. He says it was simple and it was straightforward. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he said, When I came to you, Brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Oh, the Corinthians wanted that. They wanted someone who would speak on the level of the Greek philosophers and and great oratory, rhetorical speaking ability. For I, he said, determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Paul wanted his listeners faith to be in Jesus Christ, not in his great eloquence. And Paul could have been very, very eloquent. Paul could have used inflated words. Paul could have wowed his listeners. He said, I don't want you to be impressed with me. I don't want you to have faith in my eloquence or my speaking ability. I want your faith to rest in, in God. So I'm straightforward. I'm giving it to you the way it is. So keep in mind, that's why people are attracted. They sound incredibly deep. They sound like they know what they're talking about. And they use, they use words that are inflated, large vocabulary. And people just assume, well, it must be spiritual. I don't know what that word means, but it must be. He said it. Second reason that people are attracted to false teachers is this. The message that false teachers convey is a message that is very appealing to the sinful desires of the human heart. Notice what what Peter goes on to say, verse 18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, that's number one, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. That's how they pull people in. It's a, it's, they appeal. They have a bait. They lure them in. From these words, it is apparent that uh, the false teachers of Peter's day 
were proclaiming some type of sexual freedom as an expression of their religion. We don't know exactly what that was. And, and this is clear, by the way, in verse 19. Well, verse 18 speaks about sensuality, fleshly desires. Verse 19 says they promised them freedom. So some type of, of sexual freedom as an expression of their religion. And they attracted people to their message because they gave people the opportunity to do whatever they wanted to do and still embrace a philosophy. Promise them freedom. Now, I don't know that we can say today that sexual freedom is, is really the message of false teachers. I, th- I think some, but uh, I, I don't think that's by and large the, the case. But I do see a principle here that, that is uh, timeless, and we ought not to, to miss this. Yes, in Peter's day, they offered them sexual freedom. But the basic principle is this. The reason why false teachers in all ages attract so many followers is that they lure people in by appealing to their sinful natures. It may not be sexual, but it may be, it's going to be something else. They can embrace this religion without giving up anything, without dealing with their sin. That's what's so appealing. That's, that's why the message attracts people because it, it, it uh, tells them what they want to hear. For example, Robert Schuller's message of self-esteem is very popular. It appeals to our pride. Who doesn't want to feel good about themselves? That's, that's what it is. Feel good about yourself. You are important. You are a significant person. See, false teachers, note this, always preach a man-centered gospel. Always. It may have a different emphasis here, different emphasis there, but it's always about you. It's always about me. It's not about centering our lives around God. It's always about What's gonna, what he's gonna do or what this message will do for me. If it's not self-esteem, then it's lustful greediness for money. If it's not that, then it's an emphasis on how you can be healthy. If it's not that, then it's some emotional experience to make you feel better about yourself. Always about us. That's it. Uh, just recently, Michelle received in the mail a brochure for a women's conference. I'm not going to tell you what it was. And the reason I'm not going to is because it was uh, from a, a fair. Uh, it was from a good group, and it's taught by uh, the, the teacher. Is actually uh, a very fine teacher, not a false teacher. So I don't want to even mention her name. But nevertheless, this advertisement on the brochure sends out a very wrong message, a message that belongs more with false teachers than with this group. Here's what the message said to women. Here's here's what the conference is about, at least in part. He adores you. Speaking of God, he adores you honors your womanhood and longs for you to be influential in his kingdom. You know, there's some truth here, but they don't have it correct, really. He doesn't adore you. You adore him. Not only that, our goal isn't to be honored by God. And I understand that uh, Jesus said, if you honor me, the Father will honor you. I understand that, but that's not our goal. Our goal isn't to be honored by God. Our goal is to honor him. And about being influential in the kingdom, I understand that. I understand that we want to have roles in the kingdom, but I don't think that's the best way to put it. It's not the emphasis in Scripture. The emphasis in Scripture is not for you to look for some significant influence in the kingdom, but it's a privilege for us to serve the Lord in his kingdom. That, that's What a privilege. I'm not looking for some influential role. I'm looking just for an opportunity to serve him in his kingdom. You see, false teachers tickle the ears of their audiences by giving a message that allows people to be self-centered rather than Christ-centered. 
We have to be so careful about that. And even with this good group, they've, they've fallen for that. Their message never deals with the sinfulness of the human heart. It never calls for repentance. It never addresses the, the attitudes of the heart. Bitterness and anger, the need to forgive. They don't deal with that kind of stuff. They deal with any sin. It's, it's just superficial surface kind of stuff that anybody could say. And in many cases, especially with the liberal Jesus seminar type of theologians, the message is on the basic goodness of man. They're not touching on sin. They don't believe you're a sinner. They believe that you're good and that you know what you have in you? You have a spark of divinity in you. That's what you have. Spark of divinity. That's, that's no different than new age philosophy, which is really old age heresy. The spark of divinity. You are a little God. See, it all kind of comes together. Goodness of man, spark of divinity. They appeal to the desires of the human heart, which is always desired to be like God. Isn't that what Satan said to Adam and Eve? You'll be like God. And man's still trying to be like God. And let me just say, by way of application, that what false teachers have always done, and that is give people what they want to hear, that tragically has become the trend in evangelical churches. And let me explain. Do you realize that that the movement to be, uh, this is the catch term for at least the 90s, to be seeker sensitive and friendly, a, a friendly, you know, user friendly church led really by Bill Hybels and Willow Creek Community Church. I do not consider a false teacher, though I'm mentioning his name. I think he, uh, he knows the Lord, but led by Bill Hybels and Willow Creek Community Church in Illinois. That movement to be seeker-sensitive has absolutely changed the philosophy of pastors in the last 10 years. Absolutely changed. In fact, more than 10 years, last 20 years. It has changed pastors from giving people what they need to hear, which is the straightforward teaching of the Bible, to giving people now what they want to hear, which is exactly what false teachers do. They cater to their congregations. They, they, their congregations basically determine what, what they're going to hear. That, that's really the way it is. The only difference is that these evangelical pastors really do know Christ. They really do know Christ. And when they teach, they teach the truth. They are not apostates, but they are following the method, the methods of apostates. And that's so dangerous. In fact, churches have become, as a friend of mine has said, like restaurants. Like restaurants, you go in and the restaurant's job is to, to make you as comfortable as possible. Otherwise, you're not coming back. You can go somewhere else. I want you to be as comfortable as possible. Take their orders and serve them what they want. The customer's satisfaction is the goal. That has become the goal of, of the typical evangelical church. In fact, do you know how men like Bill Hybels, and I'll mention another one who, I do, who is not a false teacher, but has the methodology of a false teacher, Rick Warren, who is well known from his book, The Purpose Driven Church. Do you know how men like this actually started their churches? How they started them? They went out into the community and asked people what they'd like a new church in the community to be like. You tell me. They took in all of this information. They went back and they started churches that gave people exactly what they were looking for. And what were they looking for? A church that doesn't emphasize confrontative preaching or preaching more than maybe 20 minutes. They gave them a church that minimizes sin. Oh, they may touch on it because these guys do know the Lord, but that minimizes it. A church that is geared to people in their 30s and 40s 
If you're beyond that, you're not who they target. And a church where people can leave feeling good about themselves. Why? So they'll come back. So they'll hear more of this stuff. That's what it is. And so many pastors, I know pastors like this, have fallen for these techniques. It's what Jack preached on months and months ago, pragmatism. If it works, do it. Doesn't matter if it's unbiblical, if it works. And, and what are they, what constitutes working if people come? That's all. Give people what they want to hear. Listen, that's what the false teachers have been doing for years, and it is tragic that it has infiltrated conservative evangelical churches. Lost people do come to church, and it's good to try not to confuse them, but we must not neglect the worship of the Savior and the teaching of His Word. We cannot evangelize inside or outside the church building if we don't have a true gospel to offer. And observing genuine worship and transformed lives is a powerful evangelism tool. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse, a daily Bible class of the year taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry, and we are deeply grateful to and for those of you who help keep these lessons on the air. If you'd like to become a part of that team, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org, and click the Giving tab near the top of the page. You'll find information about our beliefs concerning giving, along with how we handle the funds, and even a link where you can give securely online. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry P. 